أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وآله الطاهرين السلام عليكم dear brothers and sisters and welcome to another session of uh, a lesson per page this is session number 11 and uh, today we're going to be beginning with Surah Ali Imran uh, this Surah uh, the reason why it is named Alu Imran, Al of course means family. Imran is the name of the father of Lady Maryam, alayha salam. This chosen uh, woman of Allah subhanahu wa taala, and so uh, because in this surah, uh, the descendants of Imran are spoken of, uh, the reason for the title Alu Imran is such. Uh, of course, there's a lot of content. And there's a lot of lessons and there are a lot of stories discussed in this surah. I'm not going to get into those. I just want to explain why the name is there, why this name has been used. Okay, so we want to, inshallah, continue with our uh, lessons from each page. And so the next page we have is page number 50 uh, of the Holy Quran. Um, to be literal or to or to be metaphorical? That is the question. Alright, so there are many, many verses in the Qur'an um, that will have certain language that they use. And there will be some verses in the Qur'an that might be a little harder to understand. There might be some verses in the Qur'an that are very easy to understand. There will be verses in the Qur'an that are fundamental, foundational, decisive, concrete verses while others aren't very clear and they're vague a little bit. So the, this ver, uh, the um, lesson that we're going to take from this page has to do with this idea of understanding that there is such a thing in the Qur'an and that when, when it comes to understanding the Qur'an we have to be aware of this idea that there is such a thing. There are different types of verses in the Qur'an what are we supposed to do in regards to those? We'll talk about that inshallah. So let us begin with uh, page number 50. This is verse number 7 of Suratu Ali Imran. It says, A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaitanir Rajeem Huwa alladhi anzala alayka al-kitab minhu ayatun muhkamatun hunna ummu al-kitabi wa ukharu mutashabihat. فَأَمَّا الَّذِينَ فِي قُلُوبِهِمْ زَيْغٌ فَيَتَّبِعُونَ مَا تَشَابَهَ مِنْهُ ابْتِغَاءَ الْفِتْنَةِ وَابْتِغَاءَ تَأْوِيلِهِ وَمَا يَعْلَمُ تَأْوِيلَهُ إِلَّا اللَّهِ وَالرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ يَقُولُونَ آمَنَّا بِهِ كُلٌّ مِنْ عِنْدِ رَبِّنَا وَمَا يَذَّكَّرُ إِلَّا أُولُو الْأَلْبَابَ It is he who has sent down to you the book Parts of it are definitive verses, which are the mother of the book. What does mother of the book mean? It means like everything goes back to it. Right? When you're the mother of something, and then at the end of the day, your kids are going to come back to you, right? That kind of thing. There are some verses it's saying are definitive verses. These are the mother of the book, meaning what? Meaning all other verses come back to um, these verses that are the mother of the book, the definitive ones. We'll talk about that more. While others are metaphorical, 
All right, so there's two types of verses it's saying. Some are definitive, some are metaphorical. So what are, how are people going to deal with these verses now? Because, okay, so it seems like not everything's going to be 100% clear. As for those in whose hearts is deviance, they pursue what is metaphorical in it. That All they go after is the verses that are metaphorical, sometimes are unclear. Why? Courting temptation and courting its interpretation. They're after their own interests. They're after their own interpretation of the verses. But no one knows its interpretation except Allah and those firmly grounded in knowledge. Okay, It's not like everyone will understand all of the verses. There's a way to understand them. Those who are firmly grounded in knowledge. What do they say, these people that are firmly grounded in knowledge? They say, we believe in it. All of it is from our Lord. We're not going to just take some verses and run with it. No. All of it is from our Lord, and none takes ad admonition except those who possess intellect. Those who can think properly, they're the ones who will take heed in uh, what we are saying and will be, will take, will be reminded of the truth when we're telling them these things. Alright, so this is one of those very, very key verses when it comes to tafsir of Qur'an. You'll always hear it. And it talks about how, look, the Qur'an is a book that has been sent down bilisanin arabiyin mubin. This book has been sent down in the clear Arabic language. We have to understand, brothers and sisters, that when something is in a certain language, if you know the language, right, that's the hard part. Some people are not Arab, it's understandable. They don't understand Arabic, fine. But if you're an Arab, that's all that it takes to understand this book. It's not a, a, a book written in a coded language or anything like that. No. It's al-bilisanin, arabiyan, mubin. It's clear Arabic. Okay? So one thing we need to understand and keep in mind that in every language, there are going to be metaphors and there's going to be figurative speech. There are going to be, there's going to be some vagueness sometimes. There going to, there's going to be some more clarity sometimes. This is just how languages are. Right? If God was going to speak like a robot in the Qur'an, this Qur'an would not have been as rich and as attractive and captivating as it is. Yeah, The Qur'an says uh, that we have, uh, if I remember the wording correctly, that we have used a lot of examples and a lot of parables in this Qur'an, if I'm remembering the verse correctly. Alright, so... Uh, there, if you're gonna be, you're gonna be giving it all these different flavors, let's say, okay, and all these different colors and beauty, you can't just sound like a robot in it, okay. And so Allah has done that in this book, and so metaphors are used, yes, figurative language is used, stories are used, and so there is a good side to this, but there's a there's a pro to it. The, the pros are that you know it's it's it becomes very beautiful and eloquent. But there is a downside to it to an extent, right? That is unavoidable, of course. I'm not saying that this down this is an actual downside. This is maybe a byproduct of the Quran being so beautiful. The fact that if people want to you know find excuses or misunderstand or misinterpret certain verses of it, they might be able to get away with it sometimes. Why? Because they can easily use some of the metaphorical verses. What are they after? Lots of times they are after their own interests. That's what this verse is saying. Verse number 7. But there are other verses that are not like this. They're pretty clear. They're not vague. Uh, 
They are Ummul Kitab. That means what? That means all these other verses that are out there that are figurative, that are metaphorical, that might be vague sometimes, you have to bring them back and bounce them off of these more decisive, definitive verses that are Ummul Kitab. They are the they are the mother of the book, so to speak. Right? This is what this verse is saying. It is warning people. Don't be after fitna. Right? Don't be after fitna. So that's scary. Some people are after fitna with the way they interpret the Quran. All right. I want to give you some examples in this regard. Okay, so like, for example, the Quran will say, "Laysa kamithlihi shay." There is nothing like him out there. Okay. If that's the case, this is a very clear verse. It's saying that, look, anything out there you see that you feel like there is a similarity between it and God, know that there is nothing out there that is similar to God. So this is just a similarity in your mind, but there are a hundred flaws in it, okay? And a hundred problems in it, a hundred discrepancies and contradictions in it. So for example, if we have a verse in the Qur'an that says, Yadullahi فَوْقَ أَيْدِيهِمْ Allah's hand is on their hands. In Bay'atul Radwan, yeah, that uh, famous bay'ah and allegiance that took place outside of Mecca under that special tree. Well, it's, it's a special tree because of what happened under it. Um, the Bay'atul Shajara or Bay'atul Radwan that took place under it. Allah says, My hand is also there on their hands when they're giving bay'ah. Okay? Question Does God have a hand? <laughs> This is a little bit unclear for us. We're not sure. Like, or is it metaphorical? Does God really have hand? Because hand's definition is five fingers, maybe three fingers, four fingers. I don't know, give or take. Right? A hand has a special definition. The question is, does does this fit God's description? God having a hand. Does that even make sense? Well, we're not sure. So, are we going to conclude that God is a material being, has a hand, and all that? No, no. We have a more definitive, a more decisive, a more clear verse of the Qur'an that says that uh, there is nothing like him and there is nothing out there that can be like him. Alright, so if God says I have a hand, we can't compare him to us and say okay he has a hand like us or something like that. No, no, no. This must be metaphorical then. This must mean God's strength. This must mean, this, this must mean God's confirmation, God's support, things like that. Alright, and so can it be? Can we say that God has something like a hand? We just don't know what it looks like. No, no, we can't even go that far, because if you're going to bring him down to the material level of things and you and you ascribe materialism to him, then that's going to be a problem even, because there's nothing out there like him. You can't compare him to anything. All right. So that's one. That's one example. Another example. You'll have a ver- verses in the Quran that might imply that God is the one who misguides people. So you're thinking to yourself, wait. Uh, that's not fair. That doesn't sound too fair, and it sounds kind of unjust. Let's say someone's trying their best, you know, to be on the straight path. God still guides whoever He wants and misguides whoever He wants. Whoever He wants, right? So that's kind of like, hey, what's going on here? But we have like super clear verses of the Quran that Allah does not oppress. Allah does not do dhulm to the extent of even like an atom's weight worth. Uh, Allah is not going to do dhulm. An atom's weight worth of dhulm, Allah is not going to do. Right? So that's pretty clear. 
That is one of the, you can say, clear verses of the Qur'an, definitive, or as uh, the Qur'an calls it, muhkamat of the Qur'an. And the verses that might imply that he guides whoever he wants and misguides whoever he wants, and someone might conclude that, okay, you know, it's just random, those are going to be mutashabihat verses, as the Qur'an calls them, verses that aren't very clear. We're not 100% sure about what we do is we bounce it off of that, those solid ones. The conclusion is, okay, God guides whoever He wants and misguides whoever He wants, but we have to see who does He want it for. He wants misguidance for whoever wants misguidance for themselves. He gives it to them, okay, fine, here, this is what you want. Through your actions, this is what you want. Here, you get what you want. And gives guidance to whoever they want for whoever works for it. That's another example. Or, for example, we say, it says that God, it took God six days, fi sittati ayyam, yeah, it took him six days to create the heavens and the earth. Six days. So someone's going to be scratching their head, they're going to be like, what, wait a minute, I thought God, um, like that shows that it took God some time, because like it's hard for God, it, it seems. But wait a minute, there's a verse that says, Allah is all-powerful over all things. Or, إِذَا أَرَادَ شَيْئًا فَإِنَّمَا يَقُولُ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ إِنَّمَا أَمْرُهُ إِذَا أَرَادَ شَيْئًا أَنْ يَقُولَ لَهُ كُنْ فَيَكُونَ Excuse me. Yeah. When he wants something, he wills it. He says to it, be, and it is. And of course, there's an explanation to that verse that I'm going to skip right now. So wait, these are very decisive verses that are saying he can do it in a split second even. So if it says six days, then there must be another problem here. Not Allah. Allah's not the problem. The creation itself needs time to develop and so on and so forth. And things like that. So these are just examples, brothers and sisters, of mutashabih uh, verses being understood in light of muhkam verses. This is so important because today especially you'll find everyone is imposing their ideology on the Qur'an, trying to use the Qur'an to prove their point even if you know it goes against the Qur'an, what they believe in. Right? It's so scary how a lot, all these people have their own isms out there, okay? And their schools of thought out there, and they're using the Quran to prove uh, some of the like craziest ideas. I don't want to mention, I don't want to give examples here, but some of the craziest things that you know Islam is against for sure, you'll find that the Quran, they're using it uh, to, uh, to, to verify their thoughts and their ideas and notions. No, 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 that's not how it works. We go to the Qur'an not to impose to, onto the Qur'an, not to tell the Qur'an what to say. We go to the Qur'an to hear what the Qur'an is saying to us, even if it's going to go against what we feel might be you know, the way things should be. Yeah. So that's something to be <laughs> very, very careful about in this day and age, or else we will be the example of the lesson we learned, I think it was on page 3, where people think, there are people who think they are muslihun, they are reformists, they're, they're bringing about good for the people, for the faith, for the nation, while they are mufsidun walakin la yash'urun. They are the actual agents of fasad and corruption and they don't even know it. Yeah, so we have to be very careful when we approach the Qur'an and how we're going to understand it. Alright, let's move on to page number 51. It's all about the bling, or is it? So, for some, of course, this is what it really is going to be all about. Okay? 
It's going to be all about the flashy stuff of this life, whatever the dunya can offer us of flashiness. But is it really, is this everything or is there more to life than this? Let's discuss that inshallah after recite the verse. And once again, <laughs> some of my favorite verses here. Verses 14 and 15 of Surah Ali Imran. زُيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ حُبُّ الشَّهَوَاتِ مِنَ النِّسَاءِ وَالْبَنِينَ وَالْقَنَاطِيرِ الْمُقَنْطَرَةِ مِنَ الذَّهَبِ وَالْفِضَّةِ وَالْخَيْلِ الْمُسَوَّمَةِ وَالْأَنْعَامِ وَالْحَرْفِ ذَلِكَ مَتَاعُ الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَاللَّهُ عِنْدَهُ حُسْنُ الْمَآبِ قُلْ أَأُنَبِّئُكُمْ بِخَيْرٍ مِّنْ ذَلِكُمْ لِلَّذِينَ اتَّقَوْا عِنْدَ رَبِّهِمْ جَنَّاتٌ تَجْرِي مِنْ تَحْتِهَا الْأَنْهَارُ خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا وَأَزْوَاجٌ مُطَهَّرَةٌ وَرِضْوَانٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَاللَّهُ بَصِيرٌ بِالْعِبَادِ To mankind has been made beautiful the love of worldly desires. So what are these worldly desires made of? They include women, sons, Accumulated piles of gold and silver, horses of mark, livestock and farms. Those are the goods of the life of this world, but Allah with him is a good destination. Say, shall I inform you of something better than that? All that good stuff, all that bling bling. Let me tell you about the real stuff. For those who are God wary, there will be gardens near their Lord with streams running in them, to remain in them forever, Khalidin. I don't even know why the translation has it in brackets here, forever. Khalidin, Khulud means eternity. And chaste mates, and Allah's pleasure. And Allah sees best the servants. Okay. So we have a few key words here. In that second verse, verse 15, okay, there are some keywords. Actually, let me get that. Let me get to that later. All right. So let's go through this, and and, and see what's going on. Um, first and foremost, it says that to mankind has been made beautiful the love of worldly desires. So there's something here that isn't inherently beautiful. I want us to pay attention. This is awesome. <laughs> It's not inherently beautiful, and so it has to be made beautiful. Brothers and sisters, when something's beautiful already, you don't make it beautiful anymore. It's already beautiful, right? And if there's something beautiful, you can make it more beautiful. Okay, that means there was some beauty in it and lack of beauty in it. But if there's no lack of beauty in something, there's no. it doesn't make sense for you to beautify it. Here it's letting us know that, okay, the dunya, these things that we just listed, they are beautified in the eyes of, of mankind. In other words, inherently, they're not beautiful. Let's keep that in mind. So that's number one. Why do you put makeup on? Because you're not that beautiful without it, right? These, some of these uh, before and after pictures of people, right? They look totally different. Why? because they don't have that inherent beauty. The beauty actually belongs to the makeup that that person has to put on, right? So, that's the first point. The dunya, these things in it of the shahawat, shahwah comes from ishtiha, you know, these are all from the same root, is something that you are inclined towards, you like. 
that you desire. Okay, so uh, these shahawat of the dunya, these desires of the dunya are not inherently beautiful. That's why they have been beautified in our eyes. Why are they beautiful in our eyes? Right, because of the certain and special lens we are wearing. You see? They are, it's beautified because of how we see things. We are confined to the material world right now. We are, in a sense, you can say, imprisoned in the material world right now. In other words, for us everything, the criteria of everything is the material sense of it not the spiritual side of it. And that's what we're here for, to strengthen the spiritual side of things in us so that we also see the spiritual side of things throughout creation and we see Allah in everything that we see. That is kind of, you can say in a sense, the goal, to reach a point where it's all Allah for us. But I'm sorry, this is just how it is right now. When we are in a material world, we see things through the material lens, and so whatever we find pleasure in, that is the goal, that is the destination for us, that is beauty for us. So these things have been beautified in our eyes because of the lens we're wearing. If we take those glasses off, if we take that lens off, all of a sudden we're like, oh, there's nothing too special about this actually. Right? That is the problem, brothers and sisters. And so when the, when the time for death comes actually, is when these veils are lifted, this lens is lifted. لَقَدْ كَشَفْنَا عَنْكَ غِطَاءَكَ فَبَصَرُكَ الْيَوْمَ حَدِيدٌ It says that when, the, the Qur'an says that when you die, that is when we lift the veils, you see things in the real essence of them versus what you thought because you had the material lens on. So that's the test, to be honest, brothers and sisters. That is the test. It's not a bad thing that we see things as beautiful because of the lens of the material world that we're living in. It's not a bad thing. That's part of the deal. That's actually supposed to be the case. We're supposed to feel that this is where the beauty is, but Allah says stay away from it if it's haram. And so we abstain from it. Slowly, slowly we reach a point where we see what the real beauty is, which is Allah, and the rest is not actually, in and of itself, uh, as beautiful as you would think. right? And so it says, it gives us the reason why. It says, it's beautified, and of course I said because of the lens and everything, but the Qur'an says that these are mata'ul hayat dunya Do you want to know why they're beautified in your eyes, in the material world, and that lens that you're wearing and all of that? Because these are the things that you use in this material world. These are aspects of the material world. These different things that were listed, the piles of gold and the horses and all of that. They are aspects of, and they are related to the hayat dunya the low life, which is the life that we have in this world. Because they are linked to the low life, they themselves will be low as well. They're not really beautiful in reality. Okay, I'll give you an example to better understand this, brothers and sisters. Those of you who've done international travel, uh, some of these airlines, man, they are—they got some nice stuff uh, going on in their in their uh, planes, right? All the amenities and all the comfort and convenience that you have in some of them. Some of these first-class seats, business-class seats. Woo! I don't know. I don't know what to say. It's like uh, Jannah in the sky, you know. Um, but you know, not not saying that you know. 
I fly business or first class. Just saying. <laughs> Yeah, they, they make you pass by business class and first class when you're boarding the plane so that you get an idea of what you're missing out on. Maybe next time you'll sign up for it, you know? <laughs> anyway, uh, that's uh, capitalism for you. Um, if you're in, in, a, in a plane like that with all the good stuff that's happening in it, if this plane, you know, is slowly actually uh, is falling from the sky... Right, all the good things in it are gonna still be good. I mean, let's say that plane that plane is slowly falling from the sky, and everyone knows that this plane eventually is gonna hit the ground, is gonna be destroyed. Okay. Um, while that's happening, even if you have some of the good food that's in there, you you want to like have some of the good stuff that's going on in the plane. It's it's good. I mean, but because it's it's all part of this plane that's falling now. And you know eventually it's going to be destroyed. You're like, what good is there in it anymore? Because of all of those, the association of all the amenities in the plane to the plane, because the plane itself has no future, you're like, this stuff also for me has no, it's not beautiful anymore. As If this plane was going to always be in the sky, that would have been maybe a little bit of a different story. Or like, let's take the Titanic, for example, you know? Same thing there. The Titanic is all good, you know, until it starts sinking. <laughs> That's when you're like, I could care less about all that stuff. This dunya is a sinking ship at the end of the day. We all know our deaths are going to come, right? So we should only give value as much as our death allows us, which is a very short amount of time. And so this, the verse, is, verse 14 is pointing this out. It's saying, I'm just reminding you here, these, all these things are pretty nice actually. But they are linked to something that's going down. Mata'ul hayat dunya means it's going down. So if something is going down, you're going to go down with it. Why do people wear seatbelts in the car? Because when the car crashes, since you were going with the car, I forget the scientific term for it, but because you were going with it, yeah, once that car hits a brick wall and stops, you're going to keep going still. Right, so you it's you if you're being carried on that vessel, you're gonna go down with it, you're gonna go into the wall with it. Same thing here, you're gonna go down with the dunya when the dunya goes down. So that's how much value you should give it. Although these things are very nice now, if there was a for uh, an eternal, infinite, pure version of these things, it would be a different story. Hmm. Is there such a thing out there? Hmm. Well, verse number 15 says, Shall I inform you of something better than that? And this is where the key words come in. For those who are God-weary, there will be gardens near their Lord. Okay, gardens, you know, gardens, we have gardens here too. No, no, no. With streams running in them, we got streams here too. No, 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 no. To remain in them forever. And please don't, let me open a parenthesis here, please no one say, Oh, but if we're in there forever, we'll get bored and stuff. Trust me, God has ways of making sure you don't get bored, okay? This is something that comes to people's minds sometimes. As we're kids growing up, sometimes we have these questions because we compare things on that side to things on this side. I don't want to get into this. I'm going to close that parenthesis here. This is something to talk about some other time. But just letting you know, you're not going to get bored. There, the, there are verses of the Quran that also hint at this matter that, look, you're not going to get tired of things there. But anyway... Keyword though, let me find my uh, 
yellow high, highlighter here. Let me highlight some words here for myself. Forever, Khalidin. That's a, that's a key word. Okay. Azwajun mutahara. If the if verse fourteen was speaking about how this dunya has sons and women and all that kind of stuff, and good-looking people or whatever, well, there's going to be pure spouses, husbands and wives on the day of judgment in the hereafter. All right. So purity, a pure version of it. So forever, eternity, pure version of it. One more thing. One more thing, and that is Allah's ridwan. Allah's pleasure also. There's also Allah's pleasure. Now here, let's talk about this a little bit. In this dunya, if you were going to have these things that we were talking about right now and mentioning, okay, the problem was that Allah lots of times might have been upset with you when you were taking benefit from them, taking pleasure from them. Okay? Because it was haram. Not all the time. There's halal ways to you know have these things that the Quran is mentioning here. But lots of times there's going to be haram means as well. And so Allah's satisfaction is not there when you're using them. But at the same time, on the day of judgment, if you were to benefit from the same things and take pleasure in the same things, at least you don't have this guilt and worry that, okay, Allah's angry with me, Allah's angry with me. No, no. As a matter of fact, you have Allah's satisfaction in all of it. That's awesome. It's like, you know, haram food versus halal food. When you're having haram, that haram steak, you're having it, it tastes good and everything, but if you're a believer, you're thinking to yourself, man, Allah's upset with me, man, Allah's upset with me. Guilt, guilt, guilt. Like these people who, you know, they will binge on certain things they're not supposed to when they're on a diet, and so they have that guilt, right? Versus when you know this is not gonna ha it's not gonna make it's not gonna add to your weight. Oh my god, that's awesome. Right? Or when you're having that halal steak in that restaurant that just opened up and you're having it without any guilt. Right? You you rest assured that no problem here, okay, with Allah. So you're having all of these things on the day of judgment with Allah's satisfaction next to it. Now that's one way to explain it. But there's a loftier deeper, more spiritual way to explain this idea as well. And that is this Ridwanun min Allah. And this is where the mystics come into the picture a little bit. They're like, yo, let's talk about this. Ridwanun min Allah is something that overshadows all of the blessings of Jannah. And that's what we're after. We're not after all those other those streams and the milk and honey, all that kind of stuff. Although that's good. But we're after more than that. What we're after is Ridwanun min Allah. What does that mean? We don't know exactly how to experience it, how to describe it. And Allah doesn't talk about it too much here either. But after going through all those blessings, Allah tops it off with that cherry of Ridwanun min Allah. And as a matter of fact, it's not the cherry, it's the cake, it's the icing and the cherry that doesn't have a seed in it, by the way. Okay? So this is something to strive for. So those things of the dunya, they don't have eternity next to them. They don't have purity next to them. They don't have Allah's satisfaction always next to them. This is something to strive for.
And so I want to say this though. Look at the before I end with this lesson, and there was a lot of good stuff in this in this page, or in the lesson we took from this page. Back then it was all about women, sons, gold and silver, horses of mark, livestock, and farms. Brothers and sisters, shaitan's got us running in circles. Right? Back then it was those things. Today, instead of horses of mark, it is the mark of the horse or bull on your car, which is the Lamborghini or the Ferrari, for example. Back then it was gold and silver. Of course, today it's gold and silver too, but now it's all about the Benjamins as well. You know? All of these things, in other words, this dunya is going to always have the test for you, the flashy stuff for you. And shaitan's going to be having us running in circles as a human race. I'll give you an example. Like back in the day, back in the 90s, when we were growing up in school, if you wore tight uh, uh, jeans or tight pants, you'd make, you would get made fun of in school. You, had, you were supposed to wear a baggy. Right? If you wore plaid, you'd, they would make fun of you. If you wore big glasses, they'd make fun of you. Okay? That's how it was back then. Now we look at things, it's the exact opposite. Right? Oh, this is classic. This is retro. Big glasses are a thing now. Right? Wearing, they wear skinny jeans, some people. That's a thing now. Right? They'll wear shirts where the, the sleeve comes till here. Right? Doesn't cover all, it doesn't go all the way down. It's like cool now. Right? The tighter the suit, the nicer. You know, back then it was all baggy stuff. What am I trying to say here? Maybe 20, 30 years from now, bag is going to be the thing again. Now they wear some weird stuff. It's cool. Back then you get beat up in school probably if you wore it. Shaitan's got us running in circles, brothers and sisters. The, the, the point is that you, he will never run out of things to give us. And even if he does, he'll just take us back to 20, 30, 30 years ago. All the movies and cartoons that we would watch back then, now a new version of them is coming out. You know? Things like that. The, the dunya will never run out of things to offer us, but the problem is we want eternity, we want infinity, we want purity, we want perfection, we want the good version of these things. That will only come in the akhirah, yamul qiyamah, inshallah ta'ala. Let's go on to page number 52. Allah's chosen religion. So uh, we've had this idea in the past about how um, in one of our lessons we covered this, how people during the time of the Prophet, they were making a big deal about the Qibla that the, the people, that the Prophet was praying towards, right? So now here the people are talking about other things, bringing up other names and making it all about which religion you adhere to and so on and so forth. This, uh, this page makes it clear that there's one thing that matters in Allah's eyes. Now, when we see Allah's chosen religion, we're probably thinking to ourselves, okay, it's obviously Islam, right? Um, and that's what the verse says. But let's see what the Mufassirin say in regards to this verse. This is verse 19 of Surah Ali Imran. It says, Islam Surely the true religion with Allah is Islam. Okay, so that's what the translation is going to say, right? Makes makes sense to us, right? 
And those to whom the book had been given did not show opposition, but after knowledge had come to them. Out of envy among themselves, and whoever disbelieves in the communications of Allah, then surely Allah is quick in reckoning. Alright, so we have two words here that we got to talk about. One is Islam. It says, surely the true religion, the true religion with Allah is Islam. We need to talk about this Islam, number one. And number two, where it says, did not show opposition. Alright, that might not be the best way to maybe translate this verse. Alright, so as I said, people are talking about what the best religion is, what the most important religion is, and all that. Allah here says, My, the religion I choose is Islam. And that's what the translation says. But when we look at the tafsirs, what they explain is that Allah is trying to make another point here actually. He's not saying the organized religion of Islam versus Judaism and Christianity is, the right, is, is my religion, is my chosen religion. Allah says, Islam, meaning submission, is what it's all about, is, is what it's all about and where it's at. That's what I'm saying. Whether you are living in the time of the of Prophet Musa, whether you're living in the time of Prophet Isa salam, or Prophet Muhammad sallallahu I want you to follow that which I want you to follow. I want you to be submitted to the person that you are supposed to be submitted to, the religion that you're supposed to embrace. That's what I want from you. And so all of these differences in religion and all of that, they came about later, he says, because of the people and their own desires, their own interest. Although they had knowledge of the truth, whether it was during the time of Prophet Musa, whether it was the time of Prophet Isa, whether it was the time of our Prophet all in all people have always been turning away, always been bringing up other faiths, other creeds. Why? Because of baghi, um, as this verse says. Baghi has been translated here to out of envy amongst themselves. But baghi, I would say, means to transgress, to cross the boundaries. And so they're crossing the boundaries for their own interests. And so it shows, brothers and sisters, something this simple, which is Islam, submission. Allah wants us to be submitted. And Imam Ali in Nahjul Balagha also explains how Islam is taslim, from what I remember. Islam means submission. That's what it is. And so in this sense, Islam is no different than Judaism. Islam is no different than Christianity. That is the core of religion. That is the core of all divine books. Taslim to Allah. That is the message of, of the books. That Allah is all that matters. Allah's satisfaction is all that matters. And that's what we have to strive towards. So something this simple and such, and, and such unity that we find in such a concept, how unified this is. It's just one thing. It's just one word actually. Submission. That's all it is. Look at when the filter of the human being comes, this one thing like a light is broken up into different lights and colors of light, like a spectrum. Allah wanted one thing from mankind, the same way He wanted one thing from Iblis even, which was what? Submission, finished. But what we did was, with we brought in our understandings, our desires, our uh, interests into the picture, this one light of God, this one message of God, all of a sudden breaks into different, uh, different lights. And now you have all of a sudden everyone talking about my faith, your faith, this religion, that religion. It's true, we have Judaism, we have Christianity, we have Islam. 
That's true. But in the end, it was all supposed to be one. It wasn't supposed to be Christianity versus Judaism versus Islam. It was supposed to be Judaism turns into Christianity, turns into Islam. And Islam now is what Allah, is what we're supposed to have. The Islam of Prophet Isa's time was Christianity. The Islam of Prophet Musa's time was Judaism. These were in line, were supposed to be in line with each other, not supposed to be versus each other. That's what's happened. And so this is what happens when you bring in man's, man's and mankind's desires and interests. It will ruin things. That's just how it's been. The Quran says, Corruption has become manifest in land and in sea. Why? Because of the doing of mankind. Well, why does mankind do things they're not supposed to do? It's because of all of our little uh, interests and desires that we're trying to pursue, trying to fulfill and satisfy, unfortunately. Page number 53. Allah, the Sovereign Master. Okay, I'm sorry again, but I love this verse, okay? <laughs> verse number um, 26 of, of Surah Al-Imran uh, just goes into some proper tawheed man it talks about how everything is allah and everything belongs to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala let's just recite the verse and you know i keep saying this this is the underlying theme of this holy book allah is the underlying theme of this holy book end of story man end of story qul allahumma malikal mulk tu'til mulka man tasha'u wa tanzi'ul mulka mimman tasha'u وَتُعِزُّ مَنْ تَشَاءُ وَتُذِلُّ مَنْ تَشَاءُ بِيَدِكَ الْخَيْرِ إِنَّكَ عَلَى كُلِّ شَيْءٍ قَدِيرٍ Say, O oh Allah, Master of all sovereignty, You give sovereignty to whomever you wish and strip of sovereignty whomever you wish. You make mighty whomever you wish and you, you abase whomever you wish. You, meaning you bring them low, whoever you want. All good is in your hand. Indeed, you have power over all things. So I don't know if you remember or not, brothers and sisters, but in the story of um, that, that page that we covered uh, where Prophet Ibrahim tells Namrud, that king of his time, that you say you have life and death is in your hands, well, bring the sun up from the west instead of it coming up from the east, right? Over there, we had the same idea of how when this Namrud, when he was arguing with Prophet Ibrahim, Allah says in the Qur'an, this is the same idea that we have here, that we have given him mulk. We had made him, given him power, Namrud. He's a king and he's arguing against God with Ibrahim salam, but we're the ones who made him king. Allah gave him that power. Here is same, the same thing is mentioned. And is reminding everybody that Allah gives power to whoever He wants, gives izzah and honor and might to whoever He wants, and gives lowliness to whoever He wants. Don't forget that. Of course, in this world that we live in, it's a world of cause and effect. If you become king, okay, there are means to becoming king. But at the end of the day, don't forget there's somebody at the top who is giving this. All right. So there are a few little lessons here and, and, and nice points here that. I want to share with you, okay? Number one, what we get out of this is that, okay, God is the original and real possessor of mulk. 
Malik al-Mulk. Malik means the one who possesses. Mulk means sovereignty, power, things like that. Kingship. Allah is the real owner of, of sovereignty, of mulk. What does that mean? What do we get out of that? If he's the real owner of it, then what happens is that if we find anyone in this dunya that we live in today that's prime minister, that's king, that's president, that's whatever, whatever, the power they have, the kingship that they have, the authority that they have, doesn't belong to them, belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah gave it to them. Through the whatever means of this dunya. Just because Allah gave it doesn't mean that person is a good person, that's a bad person. That means it's a test for them. And so if God is the real possessor, and this is just a trust, and they are the trustee, then can a trustee use the trust that's given to them in any way they like? No, you have to do it in accordance with the the will and wish of and wishes of the one who trusted you with entrusted you with that trust so the those who are kings of the world have to remember that this is not mine to begin with it's a trust i can use it for good i can use it for evil that's how amir al-mu'minin ali ibn abi talib perspective was towards uh, being, uh, for example, Khalifa and having authority and power over the people of his time. He says, I could care less about, uh, in Nahj al I think he says this, he says, I could care less about this dunya or of this uh, power that you, that you guys are all fighting over or wish you could have. The only time I would care about any authority is if I can use it to establish justice, something along those lines. That's the only time it'll have value for me. Other than that, so he understands that this is a trust and doesn't belong to him. And so all he can do is to use it in the best way possible so that he can reap the rewards for of it later for himself at least because it doesn't belong to him. So he'll use it to invest it for his, invest it for his akhirah. And he knows he's asked, this is going to be given away again because it doesn't belong to him to begin with. So if this is the case and it's just a trust for us, you tell me, brothers and sisters, are we supposed to be arrogant? Should we get, is there any justification for arrogance now? To feel special about myself, like I have something over others. No, this is just something that you're using. It doesn't belong to you. There's no reason for you to like be proud of it or anything. Yes. And one more point here, which is pretty cool. It says, You give mulk and kingship to whoever you want. Power and authority to whoever you want. Yeah? At the same time, it's not like then you don't give it to whoever you want or you take it away from whoever you want. It says, Tanzi'u mimman That you strip it away from whoever you want. There's some Mufassirin have made a nice point here. You know what they've said? They've said that this is, the, this is how power is. This is the essence of power. And that it is intoxicating. It is addictive. It makes you attached to it. Power is so great. I think we have a hadith in this regard as well that the last thing that leaves the heart of those who want to traverse in the path of Allah, who want to get closer to Allah, one of the last things and hardest things to leave the heart of that spiritual wafer is hubbul jah, the love of positions and ranks and power and authority. Right here, I am struggling with uh, you know love of money or cars, for example. 
And then there are some who they could care less about these things. These are the things that they already have. What are they after? They're after the big stuff. The big stuff is the power. And so the verb here that's used in the verse is stripped of. Oh Allah, you strip it of whoever you want. Why? Because those who do have the power, they get stuck to it so badly that you can't just remove it from them. You have to rip it off from them. And rip. And it has to be ripped away from them. We see this. We see this in some of the... Uh, the leaders of different world, uh, countries in the world today, right? The guy, he doesn't get reelected. It's not that easy for him to accept this, and they, it has to be stripped from him. Yeah, we have cases of these and examples of these in our uh, in our in our lives today. Even we see them. And so this verse is saying it all goes back to him, and also if Izzah or excuse me, if dhillah is given to whoever Allah wants, if lowliness is given to whoever Allah wants, izzah is also given to whoever Allah wants, honor, dignity, then we have to understand that, okay, it's not in me pleasing my friend or pleasing this person or pleasing that person, going out of my way, even if, it come, even if I have to commit harams, just to be cool, just to be part of this circle of people or circle of friends and so on. It's not about these things. In the end, we have to fix our relationship with Allah. Allah will fix our relationship with the people. This is something that Ayatul Bahjat alayhi rahmah would always stress on. And I think it comes from hadiths that we have as well. That you fix your relationship with Allah, Allah will fix your relationship with the people. Uh, I think the verse in Surah Maryam says, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ سَيَجْعَلُوا لَهُمُ الرَّحْمَانُ وُدَّى those who do have iman and do good deeds, Allah, the Rahman, is going to give them wood. Wood means uh, love, mahabba, things like that. Allah is going to make love for them, bring love for them in people's hearts. Put pe- love in people's hearts for these for this for these people. So this is where it's going to come from. So let me try to fix that first instead of going out of my way. To, to satisfy A, A, B, or C, and in the end, nothing happens. I don't get anything out of it. Inshallah, this, these, are, these are some of those tawheed verses, perspective verses that we need to remind ourselves always of. Allah gives mulk to whoever He wants, izza to whoever He wants. That's where we have to go. And to get there, we have to do what He wants of the obligations He has placed on us, inshallah ta'ala. Allahumma nawwar qulubana bil Qur'an. وزين أخلاقنا بالقرآن ونجنا من النار بالقرآن وأدخلنا الجنة بالقرآن اللهم اجعل القرآن لنا في الدنيا قرينا وفي القبر مونسا وعلى الصراط نورا وفي الجنة رفيقا ومن النار سترا وحجابا وإلى الخيرات كلها دليلا برحمتك يا أرحم الراحمين والسلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته